me how to say ladies and gentlemen in gender neutral terms. Hey yo. Hey yo. Hey yo. That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC Talk Radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. So, here we are. And I'm going to say, for those who always have found me annoying since 2012, this is going to be the episode for you. Uh, Because I'm going to say as little as possible, because that's why. So, nice. No, it's not COVID. I'm not going to die, unfortunately, for some. So we're just going to hand it over for Craig and... Craig and I are going to have a little quickie. Craig, historian for you. Full, full, a double size episode. We'll be back with Derek and Craig next week. With me, um, Mr. Laganza, the actual professor, the original wrestling historian on line. Take it away, my man. Thank you, Dan. As Dan uh, so eloquently put it, uh, we're going to have a quickie. And this will be the first time we're doing it on camera. So that's a twist for us. Yeah. Um well for everyone else. Ass, yeah. <laughs> uh so uh welcome uh gentlemen and ladies to uh another edition, uh a truncated um edition of um HIAC Talk Radio. Uh we're gonna concentrate on the past because we'll save the present for our uh our third co-host when he's available to join us because uh even though it's been pretty dead. Uh, in present day wrestling, there's some uh, big uh, shakings of brewing and big movements of shaking. So we're going to wait till we have a full cast and a healthy one to uh, dive into uh, what's going on in the present in what we call what passes for professional wrestling. But when there was professional wrestling, we're going to concentrate on the week that was. And this week in pro wrestling week history was. Uh, was quite um, eventful. For the things that have, uh, the things that happened this week in pro wrestling that have ramifications to this day, which I will get to in a second. Uh, so, you know, the spiel, um, back when it was professional wrestling, when there were sellout crowds in major arenas in all 50 states, including Hawaii, uh, coliseums, stadiums, TV ratings through the roof, tens of millions of people watching professional wrestling every week uh, back in the what I call it's so hard to know if you're in the glory days when you're in them um, yeah. <laughs> until you look back when you're as old as I am right now and you oh, can, that's as good as it was gonna get oh. yeah and you look back and you can have a, a highly rated podcast where you can talk about your favorite spectator sport and look back and say this Gentlemen and ladies, it's history, and this is the Wrestling Historian. Uh, we're going to go back to t- December 1st, 1973, right here 
Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. in the Philadelphia Arena, 46th and Market, was the uh, site of a title change that didn't really happen until a week later on television. The number one contender, Stan the Man Stasiak, took on the Worldwide Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. That's the WWWF heavyweight champion, Pedro Morales. And a fight to the finish. Um, Stan had Pedro in a back suplex, and both wrestlers' shoulders were pinned. The referee counted to three, and the announcer came to the ring. And was specifically told by the referee to not announce a new champion. And that the the match was over. But the announcer did say to fans, let's give a hand to a great champion, Pedro Morales. Because see folks, Pedro Morales had been the, the WWWF World Heavyweight Champion for two years. Okay, longer than Roman Reigns is now. Okay, for two years, he was the man. And just like Bruno before him, when Bruno was the man, he had a strong, loyal fan base. Whereas Bruno held his title for almost eight years. Uh, Strong Italian fan base. Same people that would come out to see him in Madison Square Garden. Um there is also a strong Hispanic fan base for Pedro. Just as popular. Maybe not, I mean, no one is as popular as Bruno, but the fan base was just as loyal and just as fervent. So much so that when Bruno was champion, even though he won 99.9% of his matches, except for the ones where he was, he might have been counted out or been disqualified for shoving the ref to get at his heel opponent, fans would riot. Didn't like anyone getting the best of Bruno. No, they weren't used to that in Philadelphia? Or in New York, or Boston, <laughs> or Pittsburgh. Uh, oh. And when the Bruno needed a break, not just for being eight years as champion, a record that will never be broken, by the way, um, and the decision was made to have a transition champion, that would be Ivan Koloff, Pedro Morales was the number two babyface, and the idea was to put the belt on him. But since, you know, Bruno wasn't going to drop it to Pedro, and Pedro wasn't going to beat Bruno, you don't divide, you don't divide the, the fan base like that. Um, faces versus faces, go figure. Fans need someone to cheer and someone to boo, not two people to cheer and two people to boo. So Ivan Koloff comes in. And he defeats Paige Morales. Ivan Koloff lost the belt to Paige Morales when Ivan Koloff gave Paige Morales a back suplex and both wrestlers' shoulders were pinned. And Pedro put his his arm up and Ivan Koloff's shoulders were still down. And he was counted to three and he lost the belt. Right then and there, Bruno came to the ring with the belt and put the belt around Pedro, kind of passing the, a torch, anointing him. Cut to two years later, December 1st, in Philadelphia. Back suplex by Pedro on Stan Stasiak. Both wrestlers were pinned. No one puts a shoulder up. 
Referee counts to three, said the bout is over. They didn't announce a, a winner because they didn't want a riot. It wasn't until next week on WWF television where the Grand Wizard of Wrestling presented his new champion, Stan the Man Stasiak, and he was wearing the WWF Heavyweight Championship belt. Pedro Morales had been defeated that night, December 1st, 1973 in Philadelphia, but for fear of a riot, they didn't announce it to the live crowd. That's how passionate fans were back then, kids. Um, If their hero got beat in front of you, Run the other way. Yes. Ivan Koloff, God rest his soul, uh, still talked about the the night he beat Bruno um, in 1971, uh, where getting back to the ring, getting back from the ring to the dressing room um, was the closest he ever felt to death because the fans that wanted to tear him apart. But it happened December 1st, 1973, Stan Stasiak would defeat Bruno Sammartino. Would defeat, sorry, would defeat Pedro Morales. I mentioned Bruno Sammartino because when you know it, eight days later, <laughs> Bruno Sammartino defeats Stan Stasiak in Madison Square Garden. That son of a bitch. Transition champion. And the biggest takeaway from both of these uh, things, Dan, is that the tremendous heels that Stan Stasiak and Ivan Koloff were, both men, former world Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion, both men beating the two most popular wrestlers at that time ever for the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight championship. Neither man in the WWF Hall of Fame. What? The it didn't WWF even occur to me to till now. No, the WWF Hall of Fame. As much as I deride it, and I and I will continue to, uh, does not include. Stan Stasiak nor Ivan Koloff. Maybe under the new regime we might see something different. Dumbest thing I've ever heard. But yes. <laughs> that Speaking is one of one of the we... dumbest things I've ever heard. Yeah. Huh. All right. Yeah. And we and that's an HMP because we if us talking about who's not in the WWE Hall of Fame gives validity to the WWE Hall of Fame, which it's not valid at all. It's completely arbitrary. It makes absolutely no sense at all. Uh, but at the same time, I still <laughs> get mad at the people that aren't in it. Namely, Ivan Koloff, Stan Stasiak, Cindy Lauper, Andy Kaufman, Ray Stevens, Ken Patera isn't, King Kong Bundy isn't, Bam Bam Bigelow isn't. Well, thank God Pete Rose and uh, Drew uh, Carrier. Drew Carrier in there. Yes. I don't know what I'd do without them. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of uh, short title reigns, and but still memorable for who they were, the very next day, December 2nd, 1974, in Japan, the All Japan uh, president, as, as luck would have it, uh, defeated Jack Briscoe. For the NWA Heavyweight Champion. And Chuhai, Giant Baba, would become the first Japanese man to win the NWA Heavyweight Championship. This will be the first of three reigns of, of Giant Baba. His first one defeating Jack Briscoe. Uh, and he would hold that belt for a week. 
he would defeat Harley Race two more times. Also held the belt for a week. So Giant Baba, a three-time NWA heavyweight champion. Total combined reign, 15 days. That's ridiculous. That's all I got. <laughs> but he won it. <laughs> but he won, and uh, he won his first one, December second. Uh, giant, giant Baba. Um, okay, president of all Japan wrestling, and you know his legacy. Well, people talk about um, him being uh, NWA champion, but with Giant Baba's far-reaching presence, is the amount of Americans he brought. To prominence in Japan. In Japan, uh, yeah. Uh, Baba's probably responsible for more American success stories. Uh, if not for Giant Baba, uh, there would not have been uh, the, the Terry Funks, the Dory Funks, Terry Gordy's, Ted DiBiase's, Stan Hansen, if not for the, uh, the foresight and the uh, the booking of yes. uh, of Giant Baba. Never mind. Yes, <laughs> seven foot, um, larger than life, man. But um, was the um, one of the greatest bookers uh, in any country because he, when he saw talent, he uh, he he, knew he ran with it. And even if American or not, this guy can make me money. I'm I'm pushing him. And again, the the names I just mentioned, um, not that they didn't have success in America, but the, they, the success they had in Japan was uh, absolutely enormous. Um, and so many wrestlers owe their careers in Japan. And because of their success in Japan, got even more bookings in, in the United States uh, because of him. Uh, but yeah, just the Funks, um, Ted DiBiase, Terry Gordy, Steve Williams. And prominently, Stan Hansen uh, owe quite a bit of their careers to the great Giant Baba. Uh, Unreal. Yeah. <laughs> December 4th. Speaking of, um, I'm sorry, we'll stay on December 3rd. Um, speaking of yeah, short yeah. reigns, this week yeah. in wrestling, you'll, you'll notice the theme in this week's uh, historian, Dan, and this week in professional wrestling. Uh, World Championship uh, titles changing hands and the short reigns. So we mentioned uh, Stan Stasiak defeating uh, Pedro Morales, holding it for nine days. Uh, Giant Baba defeating Jack Briscoe for the NWA Championship, holding it for six days. Uh, December 3rd, 1991, Hulk Hogan uh, would regain the WWF Heavyweight Championship on the first pay-per-view ever held on a Tuesday. This Tuesday in Texas, exactly four uh, days after Survivor Series, where, where The Undertaker defeated Hulk Hogan, winning his first world championship, three days later, Hulk Hogan would defeat The Undertaker. I'm sorry, five days after Thanksgiving, uh, after Thursday, um, that Thanksgiving on Thursday, five days later, Hulk Hogan would regain the NWA, the World Wrestling Federation Championship from The Undertaker at this Tuesday in Texas. Wow. Wow, man. 
my big takeaway from that pay-per-view, that Tuesday pay-per-view, was um, Ric Flair, his first pay-per-view, and he pinned his old buddy, Roddy Piper. First job Roddy Piper ever did in the WWF was to his old NWA rival, Ric Flair. I thought that was poetic. I thought it was awesome because, you know, Piper never laid down for Hogan. Um, mostly because Hogan never laid down for Piper. But if Piper was ever going to do a job, never mind. it was to Ric Flair. So that was my takeaway from this Tuesday in Texas. It wasn't Hogan beating Undertaker for regaining the belt five days later. It was Flair pinning Piper. December 4th, 1979. Uh, Bill Watts, great Bill Watts, uh, defeated Mike George for the North American Heavyweight Championship in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This was before Mid-South was called Mid-South. It was just the North American uh, Championship. It was the NWA Tri-State Territory, but it was run by um, Bill Watts. Uh, Later, we we called Mid-South later in 1980. But Bill Watts defeated Mike George for the North American Heavyweight Championship. And he would lose it back to Mike George two days later. I call it significant because Bill Watts was synonymous with Mid-South and made the North American Heavyweight Championship the biggest belt, literally uh, and figuratively, in that era, in that area, for another 20 years. The North American Heavyweight Champion was the belt that um, meant you had made it and meant you were somebody that both promoters in the NWA and the AWA would look at seriously uh, because admit you were the man. And if you can carry the North American Heavyweight Championship in the Mid-South area, you could defend that not just in uh, those areas, main event to Superdome, but also in world class, also in Houston under Paul Bosch. You can go to Georgia. The end of the North American Championship was defended in Georgia quite a bit because of the TV that they had there. And Bill Watts made that championship uh, a big deal. I say that it was uh, symbolic uh, because Bill Watts defeated Mike George and lost it two days later. Dan, do you know Bill Watts never held the North American Heavyweight Championship again? No, I didn't. In my head, there was. In my head, there was more. I guess I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You know how many times we talked about uh, great teams, great champions, great wrestlers that have only held the belt once. Bill Watts, North American heavyweight champion, the guy who founded Mid-South, made Mid-South what it was, made the North American championship one of the biggest, uh, most respected titles in all the territories. Bill Watts himself only held it once, and he held it for two days. It's like the reverse promoter thing where he's like, we're good. Yeah. I don't like Bill Watts. He took away jumping off the top rope at WCW. Everybody else has a problem with Bill Watts for other reasons. That's it. I don't like Bill Watts because he took away the mats on the outside, which caused too, lots of yeah. injuries. Namely, uh, mm-hmm. Ricky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that needs Bill Watts. <laughs> Actually, I don't like Bill Watts because I had to sit through eight years of fucking Eric. Oh, yeah. With a K. <laughs> with his fucking... Goddamn 
parachute pants, you son of a bitch. If it was not for Eric Wass, we would not have Techno Team 2000, Dan. So you we, should- uh, well, I'd be okay with that. I mean, hold on. Is it Techno Team 2000? Um, was it the other one, Chad Fortune? Yep. Yeah, who later went on to become a really successful monster truck driver at Monster Jam. Yeah. Yeah, he he came on. God, I am such a nerd. He can't, I'm not going to talk much this week. Um, he came on when there was the NWO truck. When the everybody hates, uh, uh, NWO 2000, but I got Team NWO in Monster Jam that year. Mm-hmm. Which lasted longer than the AWO 2000 itself. Yes. And the driver was not Chad Fortune. The guy who did, the, they treated it like it was wrestling on TV. If you tried to interview him, the guy who would later, we would know, ask Chad, I know who he was. It was Chad Fortune, the guy at Techno Team 2000 and other shit, um, would come in as, like, you can't talk to my driver and would do it. He wasn't bad at promos. Mm-hmm. He was not bad, and it was not hard to cut a promo on Monster Jam because nobody else was. The only other wrestling connection in on T on camera in is Dusty had a year, most amazing thing ever, a year of color commentary on Monster Jam, the most amazing thing ever. I still one of my favorite clips is him explaining how, what a trans changing the transmission on a short track to a obstacle course. I love that man. I miss him so much. But anyway, Chad was in. And they later legitimately, as legitimate as Monster Jam is these days, uh, transitioned into a driver and drove for like 15 years. Wow. Yeah, he was not bad. Uh, He was the driver. He's the one. He drove for the truck's still around, but he has since retired because I think he was in his 50s. Uh, Soldier of Fortune. Because I think Chad Fortune had a legit veteran. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Credibility. Credibility. Yeah. So it called, but he was also the driver of the Superman truck for mm. when it was, and he'd come out of the truck, do freestyle, do the pose. God, I'm such a nerd. But anyway, yes. Thank God. I had to sit through Eric watch, but thank God we had a Chad Fortune. Chad Fortune. Thank God. Yes. I mean, sorry. Sorry, Craig. I apologize. Got me going. That's all right. Knew it was gonna happen. Well, I knew it too, Dan. I just didn't know <sighs> what I just didn't know what would set you off. Well, we'll do it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um to talk about the present day just for a second. If uh any of our uh HIAC talk radio fans or listeners or viewers watch uh Monday Night Raw yesterday. Uh, and if you saw the beatdown that Solo Sokoa gave to uh, Matt Riddle, which I love just Thank because. Thank you. I wish it was a shoot. <laughs> yeah. But if you saw the, uh, the how he was beat down, the, the tape thumb of Solo Sokoa um, right into uh, Matt Riddle's throat, uh, the running um, butt jam in the corner, and uh, then with a the chair in at two. Uh, and the solemn look on uh, Solo Sokoa's face, obviously that's who he is. He's the enforcer. He's cold-blooded and all that. But Hold there was up. a reason for there was a reason for that. Yes, uh, it was. 
because on December 4th, 13 years ago, uh, this week, we lost Eddie Fatu, the great Umaga, who was left us at only 36 years old. Uh, his death was never publicly acknowledged by the WWE. Um, when it happened, um, another uh, wrestler gone too soon, but a huge blow to the Samoan family, to the Samoan dynasty. He was the uncle of um, the Usos and Solo Sokoa um, and uh, the brother of, um, of Rikishi. Um, so he was um, a larger than life uh, figure so that the, uh, the Solo Sokoa beatdown uh, was move for move um, from the great Eddie Fatu, um, who we lost. 13 years ago, December 4th, uh, he was 36 years old, only 36 years old. So that's what that meant. Uh, uh, rest in peace, Eddie. Uh, yeah. December 5th, um, 2004, um, big day. Uh, it was a big pay-per-view um, because of... Uh, the matches that were on the card and the moments that happened during this card. And I wrote down, but now I misplaced it. Uh, but December 5th, 2004 was the pay-per-view of TNA's turning point. Um, and two spots in particular that uh, still, um, when you, people think of TNA, this spot will come up more than anything else because TNA had the eight-sided ring. They had the X division. They had lighter weight guys that some of them were just job guys in WCW, but fans, real fans knew how good they were. And this was a perfect example of that. Uh, the tag team of America's Most Wanted uh, took on the tag team of Christopher Daniels, the Fallen Angel, and Elix Skipper. Uh, in a cage, tag team bound in a cage. And this was about where Elix Skipper on top of the cage walked it like a tightrope and into a flying hurricane rana off the top of the cage. Still one of the greatest moves I've ever seen or anyone's ever seen because it made the TNA highlight reel and on the opening credits of every TNA show after that um, because it was so spectacular. And still is, but to this day, to this day. To uh, this but day. <laughs> what will probably most be remembered, and it was brought up, brought to my attention uh, yesterday and and today, uh, December fifth, two thousand four, uh, was the main event was a six man tag team belt uh, between uh, the kings of wrestling that <laughs> that, that weren't that's not Claudio and Chris Hero. It oh, was uh, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Jeff Jarrett, and they took on the team of Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, and Randy Savage. Last time Randy Savage made an appearance in wrestling. And that will be Randy Savage's last match ever. Sorry, didn't mean to steal your thunder. <laughs> I was only saying that because he still looked like Macho Man Randy fucking Savage. He did. Uh, first time he had man been looked. Yeah. Sorry. Good. 
first time he had been in the ring in uh in eight years and um he had he made a deal with um uh jeff to uh to come in and uh got the uh the pinfall savage defeated uh jeff jarrett uh to win the bout for his team uh the plan was for him to um receive an nwa title shot but uh for whatever reason they couldn't they didn't come to an agreement and randy savage unlike many of his contemporaries who had retired uh cough cough hogan cough flair and even cough mick foley uh randy when randy savage (laughs) said he was done he was done he was done and randy savage retired from professional wrestling and never returned uh up until his tragic death um i still believe and if randy were still with us he would be back in the wwe in some way shape or form there was he was um well, he hooked up with his old flame stephanie <laughs> but he he was in discussion to appear in the the wwe video game and he wasn't he wasn't adverse to that um but i do think he would have made at some point an appearance on wwe and sure. if and if if not just for uh to say hi to his fans to the the people that he did get along with and you know and i always use him as an example because i never thought i'd see hogan back in the wwe again i never thought i'd see bret hart in the wwe again i if not for the silver tongue of Paul Levesque, never thought I would see Bruno Sammartino anywhere in and around a WWE ring again. So if those folks can come back or find some type of common ground or have an, make an agreement or make a pact, or then I fully believe that we would have seen Randy Savage uh, again uh, in a, on television in a W in a, if not a WWE, but in a wrestling capacity. But uh, December 5th, uh, 2004 was the last match of Randy Savage. You wouldn't happen to be getting alerts for the Phillies, would you? I would not. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll break after you finish wrestling a story and I'll break some news for you. Happy news. I would love news to be broken. You know, I'm so used to wind being broken around me. So I would like some news to be broken around. I've never farted around you, you liar. Not yet. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Dan. I farted in your bathroom, though, but that's what it's there for. Yeah, that and my deck. That and my big deck, but thank you. Oh, well, I was going to say, the, the the restaurant, it smells so <laughs> heavenly on your big, big, huge deck. Thank you. That it would absolutely cover up any raunchy fart I would have, and probably for the best. <laughs> is that Mexican um, food I smell? <laughs> Dan, is that you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would like to think that through all of the hardships when you were when the riot when the protests I'm not calling it riots because I'm not that white um, Mm -hmm. the protests were happening near your house and the door got broken when COVID lockdowns were first happening in Philadelphia through Mm -hmm. all of that you still had the smell permeating you just walk out on the deck and go it'll be alright it'll be okay it'll be okay you know what, Dan? And um, when it happened, uh, I did, but the smell wasn't. Uh, and you know, I 
the friends that people that are close to me know that during the um, May 30th, when the George Floyd riots, my apartment, the front door was smashed in um, and there's looting up and down my, my block. It's really surreal when you're watching television and the news reporters say Chestnut Street has become a war zone. And it's like, hey, I live on Chestnut Street. Hmm. Uh, but when I went outside on my deck, what I smelled was um, the smoke from the three alarm fire on Walnut Street. Oh, yeah, that'll do two it. blocks away. So I didn't go outside for uh, about six days um, after that. But yes, but about when I did, that, that, that smell always... Yeah, it it's it's I'm I'm a very lucky person. Um, speaking of lucky, uh, we were all lucky to experience uh, the wit and wisdom of this man. Uh, but it turns out on this day, 29 years ago today, on the WWF television, uh, Gorilla Monsoon came out to escort his former commentary, his co-commentator. Bobby Heenan out of the building in what would be Bobby Heenan's last ever uh, appearance on WWE television. Um, he came out where uh, Bobby had a headset on and Gorilla just came out, yanked him up. Like the, I just like the Vince warning him. Is it Vince doing commentary with him? Yeah. And he's just worried, oh, here comes Gorilla. And you just see Bobby going... Where? <laughs> oh shit! My belongings. <laughs> and it was Gorilla's idea. Um, Bobby, okay, that uh, Bobby had already agreed to a deal in principle. He hadn't signed anything yet with WCW um, that he was leaving, and he didn't want anyone but his broadcast partner, his co-commentator, his best friend, and the man that made wrestling commentator synonymous with made them synonymous with wrestling uh watching a match with those two and it could be any match um between two main event guys or uh, a heenan guy and a hammond and a hammond egger uh those two made it magic and it wasn't and bobby didn't want anyone else but gorilla to be the one that escorted him out uh, he and later said in his biography, uh, Gorilla came to his hotel and they spent an hour uh, laughing and crying uh, about the time that they had uh, together. Uh, but the hours and hours of enjoyment they given us and they still give us uh, will never be forgotten. But uh, on this day, 29 years ago, was the last um, appearance of Bobby Heenan on the WWE TV show. <laughs> and wow just just i as serious as funny as that moment is i do like him after he, you know my belongings he picks his stuff up and with one hand and he's carrying his bags that has a bunch of toilet paper in it and stolen stuff from the hotel yeah in his one hand he lifts up his collar in the cold just goes and walks away and i'm like man that's a perfect goodbye for bobby yeah. In character or otherwise, that's perfect. And I do want to point out, mm -hmm. I am very happy knowing what he went through the last 10 years of his life with 
you know, having cancer and losing the ability to talk, and he was still able to make people yeah. laugh at conventions for years. Um, that's how funny he was. He didn't have to say a word. Mm-mm. Um, the fact that he was able to go back and put on the best, yeah, in my opinion, Hall of Fame speech. Yeah. Um, and. That commentary at WrestleMania X7. By the time the sheet gets down to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 38. Uh, and one more appearance with... <laughs> I think they're all dead in this segment. Which yeah, one? Moolah. Yeah. Uh, uh, May, mm-hmm. Gene, and Bobby yeah. are in a back room. I believe it's WrestleMania 20. Mm-hmm. And they come out, you know, and kisses all over them. Bobby Heenan and Gene Ogre, what are you doing here? No, nothing. It's just, and then fucking Mae Young and uh, Moolah come out. And he just, what makes me laugh about that is they pull it back in and Bobby's acting like he doesn't want to go, I don't want to go back in. I don't want to. And he's the one that shuts the door. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. Oh, Bobby! Uh, I, I just I remember one when uh, it was a slamboree, a WCW slamboree when when um Bobby was on commentator commentary and Dick the Bruiser was being inducted into their <laughs> Hall of Fame. And Bruiser was walking down the ring like his Bruiser stance, and he you know the guy could and he could barely walk, and he had to look at me like that. And he was take the bruiser, and um, yeah, and oh, I man. and he said, yeah, Dicks, you know, from um Chicago, Illinois, yeah. And so, and Bobby goes, yeah, that's where he vacations with his wife, Olive Oil, <laughs> <laughs> because he was look, he looked so much like because he had the, the striped shirt on Folks, and he had the I'm white shirt. Let, yeah. I just let you know, I'm not laughing because I will just cough for the, like ten minutes. That's okay. After uh the other one is uh what's the uh what I'm blanking on the match, the hearts versus whoever the fucks. Um and Stu Hearts at ringside and he's just taking shots at Stu the entire mm-hmm. time and making fun of the hearts and it's not special, it's just the way he delivers like hold on a second. Hey, Stu, wake up! <laughs> well, uh, one of the things I left off of this week's uh, historian was, um, oh, I think it was man. December uh, 3rd or 4th, um, where uh, Shawn Michaels turns heel for the first time on the barbershop and uh, kicks oh, Marty Jannetty. Oh, I knew he was going to do that. Yeah. Well, and right when they're, 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 they're hugging, it's like, yeah, see, they need each other. One's not good without the other. And then the kick, oh, I knew he was going to do it. I knew he was doing it. And then the best oh. part, though, because I can't believe Janetti jumped out of the window to get away from Shawn Michaels. Right. I always forget that until you remind me. It's, I'm so fixated on the turn of I knew he was going to do that that I always forget that next line comes. I already jumped out the window. To tri- I'm so afraid Shawn Fuck. Just, chucked, just jumped out the window. That's it. It's another WCW one, but you know, I grew up with that stuff. Yeah. Is um 
just how offended Gene was when he had to introduce Bobby to the WCW audience. Yeah. And B- B- Bobby's, ha, 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 fuck you. <laughs> he follows me everywhere. But um, it's Uncensored 99, I believe. Mm-hmm. I know I've mentioned it a hundred times, but it still makes me laugh. Is it's one of the in between one of the matches, and there it's Bobby, Tony in center, and and Mike Tanay. And as Tony and Bob and Tony and Mike are talking about something, Bobby turns around because people are kind of you know saying, hey, "Bobby, hey." Uh, and in the middle of Tanay talking. Tony's like, turn around here. And he just like, I don't have to turn around. And he just starts yelling at him. Turn around. No. He just pushes it. I don't have to pay to talk like this. I can sit every way I want. And he just moves his chair and it just completely discombobulates Tony. And so he just sits the rest of the segment with his back to the fucking <laughs> camera. And people go, weasel. Or no, they go, Bobby. And he just you get paid to you get paid to do commentary on here. I'm gonna pay to get talk like this. I'll sit whichever way I want. <laughs> uh my, one of my favorite early um ones when he had to call a cruiserweight belt and he goes, I got it. Because I know who Ray Mysterio is. And Tony Shaw, well, who is he? The guy in the mask, stupid. Man in the mask, stupid. Ah, <laughs> uh, Bobby. Uh, yeah, 29 years ago today, um, his last bout with uh, his last bout, his last uh, appearance on the WWE, and um, we'll always be the better men for it. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is the wrestling historian. I do want to say, not to end on such a downer, mm-hmm. um, there is a GoFundMe out there right now. For Barry, uh, for um, for Barry, Barry Wyndham, yes, that uh, Mike Rotunda has set up. Barry had a massive heart attack. He's okay. He, well, I mean, he's recovering. I don't know what the recovery is going to be, but he's alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so if you can search GoFundMe, it's the one started by Mike Rotunda. Uh, you help him out because you know these fucking companies never took care of these guys when they were active other than the paycheck. Uh, I figured we'd be remiss since we're only doing historian, which I'm going to requisition from this day forward to call the week that was. Yes. With the professor, Craig Lagones. Yes. I don't think anyone's ever used that term week that was, so that works. No, I, I'm I'm taking it. Good. Copyright, trademark, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I do. Back. I will end on a, a less somber note, a very happy note. Yes, uh, that the Phillies have signed right-handed pitcher. I cannot pronounce his first name. Uh, Taiwan Walker. Wow! From the Mets, we took a Met. We took a Met. Uh, Phillies add to their top rotation. He was one of the top pitchers left on the free agent market. Uh, four years, seventy-two million. He's gonna slot right behind Wheeler, Nola, and Suarez. Wow. Uh, you know what? Uh, that's kind of poetic because um, I wish that the year was more uh 
apropos, but on December 2nd, 1978, the Phillies signed from the Mets, Tug McGraw. That's right. Okay. And the Phillies still have $16 million left to spend before hitting the second luxury tax. Okay. You're billionaires. Let's go. Yes. I did post the other day, and I saw you liked it. <laughs> Took us years of harassing John Milton and his douchebag son. Yeah. And his son is a douchebag to spend some money, and now they're acting like, hey, we own a baseball team. Imagine that. Yes. That no, it's shocking. Say. Yeah. It's through the owners. They don't have to. Yes. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. And the first thing that Mr. Walker did was um, as uh, uh, underscore Philly underscore talk on Twitter pointed out, someone took a crash course at the Sirianni School of Pandering. First thing <laughs> Mr. Walker did was post the theme to Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> That's okay with me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, they uh, they want to wish they they want to win the World Series, and I think uh, uh, they're putting the pieces piece. together. Uh, yeah, man, I I like it, and uh, I like keep, it. I like it a lot. Keep it, keep it coming. Got to keep it going. Keep it going full keep steam. It, keep it on the paper. Yes, we could do that too. Yes, definitely keep it on the paper. Keep it on the paper. With that being said, where can people follow you? They can follow me if they like uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Ligon, C R A I G L I double G E O N S. Apparently, Warnock has defeated Herschel Walker. It's not it, too close to call. We're not done yet. Uh, people are calling it off. Calling it. Never mind. I can't talk. I think it's, you know what? It's a shame Herschel Walker turned into such a douche. Or he's not really a douche. He's just kind of stupid. He's just not kind of stupid. He is stupid. He's very stupid. He's a very stupid, stupid he's man. He's a stupid person. Yes. Uh, but you yeah. know what? You know what we have this year? We have Jalen Hurts. Nobody's going to yes. be able to take away his no, no. Uh, performance. Mm-mm. Uh, he's fucking amazing. Everyone who doubted this guy without seeing a minute, as if he's the starter, who the fuck is he? Well, now, now you know who the fuck Jalen Hurts is. And bitch. now that exactly, and now that I have this forum and I have a microphone and I can say this um, to any Eagles fans out there that are uh, HIC Talk radio fans, even if you were the most ardent Carson Wentz supporter, thought he got a raw deal. If you are not impressed and enthralled with the way this quarterback is leading this football team, then you're a cracker. Then you're not an Eagles fan and you never were. Because for anyone to say that we don't have a starting quarterback or that I just don't like Jalen Hurts or I don't. Jalen Hurts is doing right now something that Carson Wentz, Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick, Randall Cunningham have never done. You've never been 11 and 1 and have the numbers that he's putting together. How many rushing touchdowns has he had this year? Nine. You know how many interceptions he's thrown this year? Three. 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 Two of them weren't even his fault. 
So yeah. I, I I I don't know. I don't know what you want. I don't either. Um, uh, but he yeah. made me start watching football in general again. Jalen Hurts did. Yes. And if you want to do a deep dive on Jalen Hurts, um, looking at his college career and his high school career, all the guy ever did was win. Yeah, you mentioned um, that before. That's all yeah. he did in the past, just win. And since he's been a pro, he's he's won. He's winning. <laughs> yes. Uh, his last 18, uh, 15 and 3 in his last 18 games, 18 regular season games. <sighs> yeah, so um, get used to this, folks. So we're number one. And he's reason. only, uh, how old is he? 22? He's, he's 24. He's 24. The dude was 15 when I was born. I was 15 when he was born, backwards. <laughs> uh, it, I knew what I meant. Yeah, he's 24. Devontae Smith is 24. A.G. Brown's 25. All those people bitching yeah. about the front office of the Eagles in the offseason obviously aren't Flyers fans. Because <laughs> I was watching that going, what the fuck are you guys talking about? What do you have an issue with? And you get here, you're like, Hmm. Cargill's returns. Sorry, I'm just looking through Twitter. Okay. Uh we already uh, you can follow Craig again. Do it again, Craig. Where uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter at Craig Lagans. C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Follow me and my recovering dulcet tones at Danlaw83, all social media platforms, HIC Talk Radio dot com. For the podcast. For Craig Legans, I am a sick above average comedian. We'll see you next week uh, with the three of us back. We're going to talk about Regal and uh, shocking, excuse me, return to WWE on the horizon. Until then, keep it on the page.